0: These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to Episode 105 of the Headspace and Timing Podcast. On today's show, I have Justine Evers on the show to talk about her amazing work, but also the other side of what was going on while she was doing it. At the end of December 2018, Justine shared a surprising vulnerability on social media. She revealed that she had been struggling with alcohol addiction for many years and had decided on February 1st of 2018 to take control of it and reach out for help. For those of us who knew her at a distance and the amazing things that she's been doing for the last several years, it came as a surprise. She seemed to have it all together and was doing great stuff. Like all of us, however, there was another side to the story.
1: To me, I think this last year has taught me that the drinking was like the first step. <laughs> like, that was actually the first step to uncovering so many other bad habits and mindsets that it's been a journey. It's been a, such a growth.
0: Welcome to the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50Cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Once again and as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn uh, about veteran mental health and wellness. Um, I I often say, and and I guess I'm um, maybe subject to hyperbole when I say that I am really excited about today's guest, but I am really excited about today's guest. Uh, Justine and I have uh, have been talking. We, we've had several, many different conversations. We just haven't happened to record any. Um, and so Justine hasn't been on the podcast yet, although she is uh, very well known um, in the military community. Um, so we wanted to come on and have a conversation, but also a conversation about some different things um, and, and be um, almost radically honest about some certain things. So, uh, before we do all that, Justine, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Is it true that I've never been on this podcast?
0: You've never been on my show. You were. Um, I connected you with Eddie and Bennett, uh, and you uh, were on the Change Your POV on their show. But you've not been on my show um, quite that's yet. Right. Yeah,
1: I feel like I've been watching this unfold for you know, years and we've been on the same journey, but I can't believe this is my first time on the, I remember when you were starting this podcast.
0: Right. Um, and, and I was even thinking about that before we got started. Um, 2016 is probably when we first connected, you had just finished the the wrong thinking. You're a certified wrong thinker. Um, you, you had just come out of that and, um, and we're emerging into doing some different things. Um, and And a great opportunity you're one of the perhaps sometimes in our in our online community we have um, fewer chances to meet in person. Um, but I think of uh, the time where you and I had coffee um, and and you gave me an amazing recommendation to go visit the uh, uh the Marine Corps Memorial Hotel for dinner, which was an amazing time uh, and you were actually there that day because I was in San Francisco presenting. Uh, on the comprehensive veteran mental health. And so you were there at the beginning and we talked about it that day um, uh, when that whole concept was coming together. So you're right. We we have been on a journey together uh, separately, but um, simultaneously.
1: That is uh, pretty amazing in itself, to be honest with you, because a lot of the things we're going to talk about today really have to do with that like topsy-turvy journey. And right when we met, it was right when I had make a, made a pretty radical change in my life and career. Uh, if you really look, think back to it, it, was it was literally maybe like 45 days after I said sayonara to my higher education career. i would kind of at this like pivotal moment of I'm either going to be the president of the campus or the dean. And I don't know if I'm cut out for either one of those. I think I can do it for sure. But I think there's something more for me out there and kind of stepped into this mind meld of design thinking and innovation and entrepreneurship. And, uh, it's been quite the two years. <laughs> it, it I feel has like been. I am finally, finally, finally coming full circle. Um, and it's probably going to take all of 2019 for, you know, for it to be processed, it's processed in my head. I don't know if the public is really making sense of it yet. So I, I foresee this time next year, people will say, "Wow, okay, that made sense, Justine." I was a little worried about you there for a little bit, but. I'm glad that that's making sense now. <laughs> well,
0: yes, but I, but I also think that, um, and, and again, watching you and as we know, um, and we know a lot of the same people and, and the great folks at uh, Bunker Lab and, and Todd Connor and Blake, um, and and many people look at what Justine is doing, and we'll maybe we'll talk about you in the third person quite a bit today, but we look at what <laughs> Justine is doing and we say, well, that makes sense. It made sense that you were in higher education. It made sense that you made the shift, um, all the shifts that you made. It made sense to everyone at the time. Um, but it wasn't making sense to you at the time, and that was most important. But before we get into that, I'd like to give you know the audience um, who who may not know you and who should know you a little bit more about your background, where you came from um, and, and really what led up to you know over the last three or four years. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I am a Navy veteran, uh, also a military spouse. And I transitioned out of the Navy in 2003 with a pretty severe medical discharge unexpectedly. Um, And first generation college student transitioned out, used my GI Bill and made every mistake in the book. Um, As a result, I dove headfirst into higher education careers, serving veterans and military spouses and building programs within the military community. I worked, I built three Different programs and had quickly, very rapidly became known as kind of like an innovator, mover, and shaker within the higher education space. And um, looking back on it, really definitely learned how to build human centered designed programs. And, you know, I didn't even know what that meant at that time. I was just doing what I was most passionate about and being who I wish I had when I transitioned out of the military. Um, it didn't really start to make sense to me what that was until I moved to San Francisco. And upon moving to San Francisco and not being around a military base, because after I transitioned out, I then married the Navy. So technically, if you really think about it, I never really transitioned out myself. Like I did, but I transitioned into a whole new life that was still really closely affiliated with the military. And, uh, which is, Kind of common within the women veteran space I'm finding, um, and and through being stationed in San Francisco and having an opportunity to be around so many civilians and such a robust like innovation hub and like what an amazing opportunity to live there, my eyes just bulged out of my head and I wanted to do everything and anything possible and uh, still continue to serve in a way of being who I wish I needed. And so um, on that journey over the last two years, as I said, you know, I left higher education, kind of set out to explore innovation and for the first time really explore my own actions with like this unlimited potential. And uh, joined the nonprofit space, uh, still within the veteran and military community space, serving veterans within higher education, service school, went to Stanford Ignite, Became design, you know, certified in design thinking. Bunker Labs came into my life and changed my life forever. Uh, started out as a Bay Area city leader, just kind of doing what I do best, organizing people and community, um, providing access to entrepreneur resources in Silicon Valley. Bunker Labs doesn't care if you want to write a book, start a coffee shop, open up a restaurant. And then Silicon Valley, unfortunately, unless you're raising $7 million in a tech space, no one will talk to you. So I saw a gap in service and leveraged the Bunker Labs mission to serve the community in a way that, you know, I wish I was served because I had kind of been dabbling with entrepreneur, um, entrepreneurship, but felt really intimidated. So again, jumped headfirst into just being who I wish I had and learned a ton along the way. Uh, And long story short, started my own company and was. Working at a couple at a, at a at an accelerator with Ryan Micheletti and Founder Institute and learning just like what it takes to build programs on a global level. Uh, still working at Bunker Labs, still building my own company. This time last year, realized three jobs is a lot. You'll kind of hit rock bottom real quick. Three jobs, three kids was like my hashtag and motto, and I don't know how I was doing it, and then. Trim the fat, decided to join the Bunker Labs headquarters team and learn how to scale a nonprofit. So all of last year, I was building my own nonprofit and then learning how to scale a nonprofit. And I learned so much along the way. And then probably about 100 days ago, uh, realized, wow, we've made so much progress. I can no longer maintain both organizations. I need to make a decision. And through that decision process, made the leap into my own company which I now serve as the president and CEO of the Paradigm Switch. Which all of that I just said is so connected to that mission, and it's pretty amazing to watch it all come together. Um, but yeah, that that is that's a lot in itself.
0: <laughs> it is. I feel like I need to, go to yoga now. <laughs> well, and I mean, and this is a this is a thing. Is anybody who who has been watching your journey, um, in, and as a mentor of mine once said, you know, life is very contrived online, right? We have this, this, uh, let's say hyper-connected, um, network, um, with all of our social, and I'm not using the social networks in a disparaging sense because they're, they're very much, um, uh, very much more, um, genuine, uh, than maybe some people might think. Um, you know, you and I are, Friends, we've only met in person once. Um, when I was working with Eddie and Bennett, Jeff and Andrew with the uh, Changer POV podcast network, um, uh, you know, they were there, um, you know, they, they sent, um, you know, memorials and flowers when we, when I lost my father. I mean, we were friends in, in, in every single concept of the name, but yet we hadn't actually met in person, um, uh, until this past year in Orlando. And so, this idea of the, the hyper connected world. We have this, this digital life and and I have seen and we've had these conversations about how things have just naturally flown one into the other for you. Um mm-hmm. and and then that's only one side of the story, because although life mm-hmm. is very contrived online, um we don't tend to put the 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 negative stuff online. Um if we do it's in a very hesitant and, and easily missed way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people, you know, I'll just half right into it with my recent share. And the reason for being here today is um, I don't think people realize that that pivotal moment when I said three jobs and three kids and this like really important moment in my life, this time last year, or I, you know, I made a decision. I'm drinking at crazy amounts of, of of uh of alcohol and a lot of it was like it's very normal in our society and I don't think I was like, you know, when people think of an alcoholic, it's not Justine. It's it's definitely someone who is like sleeping on a side of a road or, you know, losing their marriage, losing their job, um, or, you know, just really struggling at that level. That wasn't me. But I knew that I was not going to be the president and CEO that I know that I can be one day if I didn't make some decisions around slowing down and not moving at Mach 20. And uh, so I did that. And then once I slowed down, I realized wow, uh, you know, this norm of, and this thing we joke about, like, work involves a lot of networking. Um, you know, I just found myself in this really weird vortex of just having a whiskey or a wine just became so normal. You don't realize how much you were. I mean, I was losing family members. I was grieving over wine and whiskey. I was celebrating over wine and whiskey. I was working over wine and whiskey. I was relaxing over wine and whiskey I was doing all the things that we think are acceptable and very normal but that stuff starts to add up and it will creep upon you where you realize for a quick moment um, when is the last time I went to bed without a glass of wine or when's the last time I went to bed without celebrating or grieving or being upset about something and turning to my old friend, Jameson. Um, and it just is a little bit of a slap in the face when you realize you're going so fast and trying to do so much that maybe for a moment you have to look in the mirror and realize, uh, your potential is actually more than you think. And, uh, while you're accomplishing a lot, you could be holding yourself back. And that's kind of scary because you you just heard my resume. It's uh pretty impressive in itself. So I think I could have kept going, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could have kept going with no problem, but um, you know, I, that that's kind of like the moment I hit and I, and I'm happy to go into more detail, but you know, I come from a family where this is very normal and I, you know, I think my family is doing the best they can and, they're amazing people and I wouldn't be who I was without them. But, you know, these things typically don't end so well. And I'm just turned 35 and hadn't really developed great habits. I didn't have a really great relationship with alcohol. And it was just kind of a moment in time where I realized in order to do the things that I want to do over the next three to five years, I really need to reevaluate this because it's not college anymore. And this this like idea of you know, all business is done over a bottle of wine. I mean, maybe it is, but not four bottles of wine, that's for sure. And like, you can go home at 10 o'clock and this, like, it's very Silicon Valley, like TV, like image. So I think as an entrepreneur, it's, it's easy to fall into that.
0: Yeah. You know, you know, yes.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and it is, and and it is both. And this is, perhaps um the the upside and the downside of of military service or entrepreneurship um that's you went from the military right where you know in the the cliche drunk as a sailor is you know mm-hmm. is everywhere right this is a we are the military service is an alcohol fueled um organization if you're enlisted it's you know bottles and cans in the barracks and if you're an officer you have the right arm night with the commander and you know come have a drink with me and, and, you know, all of these different things. And I, um, um, I think I've talked about it here on the show before and you and I definitely haven't talked about this, but, uh, um, I was an 18 year old in Germany, uh, for three years and I was a functioning alcoholic. Um, I was drinking six nights, um, of the week uh, out of seven. Um, and and really what I called that seventh night is just, I didn't go out to the bar. We just drank at the barracks kind of thing. And, and so it's, I, and and I like you, um, have a family history of alcoholism. Um, and so there's this genetic component of it too. Um, so, so there's this, this idea of, uh, in the military, it was acceptable, uh, as a military spouse, you're always having the, the, the crew over for, um, you know, uh, barbecues or, or having, you know, the the wives over for, you know, a wine night while the guys are all of these different things. Again, it's, it continues the culture. College Mm -hmm. of course is just as, as alcohol fueled, if not uh, arguably more perhaps than, um, than the military. Um, regardless of whether you're in a, um, administrative position or, or definitely in a student position, um, And, and so, and then you go into this entrepreneur kind of um, environment Mm -hmm. where it just, it becomes so common and it becomes so easy. um, It's, it's slipped into um, and you don't Mm -hmm. realize it until you're too far down that, that things are really starting to fall apart.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'll add another culture norm that I think for the women listening, the mommy, the, the mommy groups, it's, it's like, oh, I'm home with three toddlers and i at one point in my 20s, uh, 26, I had two babies in diapers. I was working on a master's. Like I've been going at this speed for 10 years. That's, that's half the problem, but it was, it was easy to do and kind of numb through it because it's like, what do you do when you got two babies at home and you drink wine? Like you just relax, right? And it's like so normal in our society. No one thinks anything of it, but those years of that add up. And now we're joking about it. That that that's kind of what like scares me the most in the future is like we got we have memes and like jokes around like oh having a bad day chugging a bottle of tequila and like chugging a bottle of whiskey and
0: mommy's little helper
1: and uh, yeah or like the wine the the coffee mug for all the moms around you know shh there's wine in here you know don't tell anybody and I don't know I just. I definitely fell into all of those. I think all of those categories you mentioned, I fell into all of those and it pains me, pains me to admit it. Like I just feel the shame, like the shame cloud hovering over me right now. And everybody listening to this of just thinking like, you know, I don't know what everybody's thinking, but I can't, I've learned, I can't worry about what everybody else is thinking. And, but I know that, um, it's easy to do. It's especially if you know they have that genetic component to it. It's so just like normal that I agree with you. It's, you don't even realize it's happening until something punches you in the face and you realize what is happening here. And it does take a moment in time for you to look to yourself in the mirror and your ego to say, do I have this all figured out or do I just think I have this all figured out. And I think that you can have both. I think you can, you know, I'm totally, I never did anything unethical. But it's more about how I was treating myself. And I think that's what's really important about the things that you talk about. and And that's when the mental health conversation really opens around, what are you saying to yourself? what are you, how are you treating your body, your mind, your soul? Um, and all of those, how are all of those things connected to how and what you project out onto social media, and in the boardroom on a daily basis. And, you know, after a while of not being honest with yourself, that stuff will start to catch up with you. And, uh, and maybe now, and maybe everybody's going to have their time eventually, and everybody's journey is different. But you know, my husband would joke, like, I think I'm going through a midlife crisis. He'd be like, I think you're too young to go through a midlife crisis. And I would go, you're probably right, but this is what I feel like it would feel like.
0: <laughs> well, they call it, so a, what know. is it? Sometimes it's a quarter life crisis, but it's, but also because our lives are so busy and, and our lives are so, and and, and to be honest, Justin, because you're so passionate, right? You know, this isn't pandering. This is, I know that your passion about service members um, about just wanting to keep people from making the same mistakes that you made. Um, you right. know, our conversation in the the Starbucks in, in, uh, um, in San Francisco, one of the things that you said then um, is, has stuck with me, you know, several years later um, about we, we need to understand about equity in higher education and not just about equality in higher education. And how do we help people understand, um, you know, that, that where they come from isn't where they need to end up. And so your your passion has driven you. Um, and and I, I think I heard um, this one time. It's almost like you're, you're running along um, on one of these moving walkways uh, in the airport. And so you're running and the moving walkway is also propelling you forward. Um, and that walkway isn't going to last forever, forever. And until you stop and slow down and you're aware of it, you're going to come to the end and you're going to fall on your face.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's so funny you bring up the equity piece, because I haven't talked about that in two years. And those types of conversations are starting to come back up in the work that we're doing at the Paradigm Switch. And um, it's pretty awesome, to be honest with you. It's pretty amazing. And, you know, through falling on my face personally, and, and I don't know if I fell on my face. I would say, I think that there comes a point in our lives where we realize we have way more potential than we began to think. Um, And that can either scare the shit out of you and you can keep self sabotaging, or you can be scared and self sabotage a little less and continue and just work through it (laughs) and like continue to process things. And you realize um, That everything will come full circle. So what's interesting as I look back on the last two years and going through all of those changes, I realized that I was learning how to innovate. I was learning how to be an entrepreneur. I was learning how to be a leader. I was learning how to build an organization to propel the ideas that I had in my head based off of the eight to 10 years prior to that personally and professionally. And everything now moving forward is as a result of that higher education foundation and the last two years of going through that. And I do think that I went through it all for a reason. And and, and something you've said to me that when you invited me on here, something that you just said was, I have always taken a lot of pride in putting myself out there because Um, I didn't go to like, I mean, I went to Stanford two years ago, so I've been told I can't say this any longer.
0: But But even Uh, that was a challenge for you. I mean, even that was getting through that. And and you and I had this conversation about how you weren't sure and you didn't feel like you belonged and you still had this doubt and you stepped out in front of this doubt. But you still had the hesitation. The only difference for you and and some other people is that you move forward in spite of that hesitation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all imposter syndrome, and I really am still struggling with this. And I'm finally, finally, finally starting to get over it. I'm finally starting to say, get over it, Justine, because there's really no other thing you can do. But, you know, I've always... Sold myself short and talked to myself pretty negatively around the fact that, you know, I did live in Section A housing. I was homeless in high school. I grew up in extreme poverty. I joined the Navy for a better life and, and to serve, but ultimately to, to have a better opportunity to travel, to learn from people, to uh, have a career and ha- have an opportunity to go to college. Um, I'm not so sure I would be where I am if it wasn't for the Navy. And so I've never been the smartest person in the room. I suck at grammar. Uh, (laughs) I tend to to speak before I think, you know, and, and what's amazing to me is that over the last eight years, I've been so fortunate to work for a lot of amazing leaders, but also a lot of bad leaders. And it's taught me how to do that. You know, my experience over the last eighteen months with Todd Connor, I mean, I've told him several times, he's the best leader I've ever worked for. I've never met anybody to treat people like human beings the way he does. He he inspires me so much because I believe in that so much, but I had never seen anyone doing it. And now as I'm building my own organization, I oftentimes have to sit on my hands and be patient and learn that I've been thinking this through for two years. My team has not, and I need to have patience and treat people like human beings. And I've always believed that that's the right way, but I never saw anyone else doing it except for probably a handful of people I've ever worked for. People were more, you know, get it done, show me what you're doing. And they forget the the human piece to all of this. And um, I just think it's, amazing. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to incorporate these simple things into our organization. And I do think it's what will will put, pull us apart from everyone else. I, I do think it's a competitive advantage. And it's really sad that that is the case, because I feel like it's such a simple thing. But, you know, I often tell people, I understand why people are not that way because it's much easier to just knife hand folks and whip them in the shape and get them into line. But it's harder to let people learn things on their own and respect their journey and meet people at, you know, where they're at in their lives. And I think the leaders who allow people to do that are the ones that typically are the quietest in the room. And that's the kind of leader I'm striving to be.
0: And, and I think that this, this concept of taking care of other people and making sure that other people can be the best. And if we're always, um, you know, taking care of everyone else's concerns and then we, we miss out on our own. Right. And how mm-hmm. much, how much did you and, and, and me and and all the rest of us, how, how much do we actually, you know, try to take care of ourselves, um, as well as we try to take care of other people. If you have someone, um, with the the heart for others like, like Todd Connor. Um, and then not having that awareness of self to say, am, you know, am I practicing what I'm preaching? Am I taking care of myself in the way, you know, am, am I busy trying to lift other people up and, and harming myself in the process? And, and, and that's something always that, that again, observationally that you've always done. Um, and you know, in, and I think that, as you said, you always have had, or, or you mentioned that you've had negative concept to yourself, but I've said it to you, and I'm sure others have said it to you, it's like, you're crazy. Look at what you've done, look at how what you've accomplished, and all these things, and, and those voices don't mean quite as much as the voice inside your head. Even the one where you said that, you know, you have shame and what people are thinking about, um, you know, when they're listening to this, I, I literally don't care what anybody else is thinking about this. I, I just the, the, um, the bravery that you have around talking about even as successful as I am. And then I had this issue, this, this, um, addiction really to drinking, you could have gotten away with it. You could have just stopped and no one would have known. Um, but your husband and your family and, and, and even being as vocal about it as you are becoming now, that wasn't necessary.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't really have a, I can't explain that. I don't really have an answer for why I'm even accepted to do this. To be honest with you, there's just something in my gut telling me to do it. And I've always done that. And I'm learning to trust that more than trusting the, uh, you know, the cloud, the other voices that talk so negatively, it's like, trust this one. This one's always led you really well. And that, you know, knowing that. And I think the thing that, fuels me is knowing that i'm not alone because i know i'm not and you know i'm not either you know that i do know that there's someone listening to this that needs to hear that and i think that i spent a lot of years making others feel bad for not being at the party or staying out late or you know you can't do this if you don't do that and i think i was wrong i was wrong and um I think it's important for people who are in leadership positions to admit when they're wrong. And I'm okay with that. And I also think that, you know, something you just said around having the self-awareness to take care of ourselves. I don't know that I've always done that, to be honest with you. I don't want to paint the picture that I have. I I would say that I've put everyone else in my life, including my husband, including my kids, including the, the students I used to serve, including you know, everyone in that room at a bunker brew. I mean, everyone, everyone that has ever met me over the last 10 years, I have put them before um, myself. And uh, it's taken me probably about a year now on this journey of, you know, I stopped drinking a year ago. So it's taken me a year to realize I had this all wrong. I, yes, this is very important, but if I am not taking care of myself first, put my mask on first and then help everyone else. Then I actually will go farther. Um, And when you've been taking care of everyone else and not filling your own cup for the last, you know, maybe 10 years, it's a habit. So it's literally been switching. And because this is no pun intended, because we use this at paradigm switch, but I have had to switch my own mindset. Because I was in the mindset that that's what we had to do. And I, I, I could not disagree more. I think that you can go so much farther when you take care of yourself. And I used to think, you know, after this podcast, I will, I have a million things to do and I'm still struggling with this, So do not think that I'm perfect at this, but you know, what I will do is probably scan my email and um, review a few things and then I'm going to go work out with my husband and it will pain me to walk to the gym because all I will be thinking about are the million of things that I have to do. Um, but taking that time to walk away from it and do those things are so important. And I used to think the opposite, unfortunately. And I think, our society breeds this culture to agree with the old justine. I think our society breeds a culture of hustle and grind, and if you're not working, you know nothing. It, it, it's just like, and social media just feeds into it. Um, and I'm um, learning that that is not the truth, and it's actually further from the truth. I'm I'm better off going to the gym, cooking dinner for my family, reading a book, and then maybe taking an hour in the evening to do something um actually i'm getting more done in less time these days but it's not not a natural state for me to be honest with you it's very odd it's very odd and um i think i think the the you know the drinking fed into that like got to go, got to go, got to go, you know, it it felt, it it felt, it seeded this need to have to overcompensate and prove to people what I was doing. And
0: right. And, and, and like you said, it, it just, it becomes the cultural norm. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't intend, um, to, to become a problem drinker um i i definitely didn't intend that I, I saw what had happened um you know growing up i think before i joined the military i might have had two beers in my entire life um and it wasn't until the environment um and my genetic predisposition um and the availability of it all came together and and things got really really out of control um and you know and then whatever that was in in you know, especially for me uh, many years ago the idea of um, my career in the military and and my wife coming into my life and it really um it changed some things around that that you you're able to finally maybe get a handle on it and and you know whatever that looks like for each individual. You know you mm-hmm. also said though this idea of you know this is what is expected this this hustle and grind um but then it came to my mind it doesn't matter whether the hustle and grind is for negative reason or positive reasons Um, Mm -hmm. it it can still be challenging, right? You weren't hustling and grinding in order to make it the Justine show. You were hustling Mm -hmm. and grinding so that you could serve others and help others. Um, and so going 90 miles an hour, seven days a week for good reasons, um, can be as detrimental as going 90 miles an hour for selfish reasons.
1: I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I would agree. And I, I, started to get a little resentful in the end there around, you know, what am I doing? It, it started, it started to turn and become resentful and negative. And that's when I started to realize there was a problem because I started getting resentful around, I'm doing all this work. Um, and I started to lose my gratitude lens. Once you start to lose your lens of gratitude and you become so negative, Something has to change. Um, so, you know, and, and I to me, I think this last year has taught me that the drinking was like the first step. <laughs> like, that was actually the first step to uncovering so many other bad habits and mindsets that it's been a journey. It's been a, such a growth. And um, I think that's what excites me the most is that it's really funny to see it's interesting I'm I, I often get in these situations where people uh know me from certain you know maybe over the last two years and, and um they think that I'm gonna react in one way and then when I react another way they're like wait what <laughs> and uh I I don't know I I think it's just there's been a lot of other things I've learned along the way, you know, how to, how to let go, how to just be present, you know, like how many people listening to this even know how to do that? We know we see all these like great quotes online and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest around like be present, but are people really doing it? Um, you know, are people really taking time to, to write the things that they're grateful for and realize that, you know, they actually have everything they need in their lives right now. And if you don't, it'll come, you know, you're doing what you need to do to make those things come. And uh, I think it's really common in the veteran space too, that we have to be in control. We we like everything to be a, one plus one equals two. And if it doesn't equal two, what do you mean it doesn't equal two? What do I got to do to make it equal two right now, today, right this second? And uh, that is not good (laughs) because most of the best things are not that simple.
0: Right. And then we also have the the challenge of When things do seem to be okay, we have to create problems. We have to create chaos so that we may be able to make order out of chaos and create that to be able to satisfy that need.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's the story of my life the last like year. (laughs) You know, what's funny is that, that's why I say like creating drinking was the easy part. That was probably what I had to learn. That's been the hardest lesson for me. Like you're creating chaos just so you can have some sort of control over the outcome. And I'm just getting better at living in the anxiety, living in the chaos and knowing that it's going to be okay. And I think there's also pros for veterans too. You know, I never saw combat. So I think a lot of combat veterans are like, Whoa, no one's going to die today. Let's move on. And that's like, we joke about that. What makes veterans great entrepreneurs is because they can handle the high pressure, but they handle it very well, but they definitely we like to have control over who's doing what, when is this happening, um, and that's really interesting. And once our team started to expand, um, you know, only only in the last hundred days we transitioned from being a 25 plus volunteer organization running globally to shutting that volunteer program down and operating as a four person team in four different time zones, all four different backgrounds. And uh, it took a lot of self-awareness for me to realize I'm trying to control the outcome and I'm beginning to micromanage this process. And I don't, and I'm, I'm starting to create new ideas and processes for no reason when we haven't even done these four things over here. Um, why don't I just like go to bed before I break this? <laughs> That's what I have to tell myself all the time. I literally just sat on a call to, with our COO and I, she's like, what can we do to get some things off your plate? And I'm like, you know, I think we're doing all the right things right now. I feel like if I make any sudden movement, something's going to break. and So we're just going to like stick to the plan here. <laughs> so. I would not be that self-aware if I was still drinking. Like I would be more concerned about going out to happy hour later or, you know, right. Because, you know, I just, my mindset is different.
0: Yeah. Because making that space would have been making more space for something that ultimately, um, it, it felt right, but it was ultimately harmful. And, uh, I just, I, I appreciate your courage. um, We've, uh, we've been friends for, for several years. And, um, I I just really appreciate, and this is the, not even say appreciate you more, right? You know, this idea of your radical honesty today, um, your ability to just say, look, this is, this is the real life. This is the real world. And I know that I'm not the only one, um, dealing with this. Um, Mm -hmm. I just really appreciate you and I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate you providing a space to talk about these things. I think, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, through my transition out of Bunker Labs and making this huge decision to to leap into this organization full time, it's been really interesting. Um, I've gone from being the only woman in the room 95 to 97% of the time to leading an all woman team. Uh, in a community of 93% women and trying to change their lives in ways that I only dreamed of. And I think it pushes me to be more honest because, you know, like I said, when I shared this news, I refuse to be a leader that does act like I have it all together. And I have a lot of things together. You know, I I often am reminded I am really doing this and this is working and I know what I'm doing. Trust yourself. This is actually going way. This is going amazing. Um, And I'm very much qualified to do this job. And but what I think is most important is the people that you're leading every day are real human beings with. You know, in my my situation, one has a husband deployed for the next nine months. The other one is about the PTS across the world. And the other one has three kids under the age of four. And they're all doing this volunteer right now. For now, not much longer. But how do you, how do you lead a team that is sacrificing their, they may only have four hours a week or three hours a week or, you know, how do you really get to the core of someone's motivation to do something for your crazy idea, which has now turned into a real, very real idea. You know, a million dollar organization is what it's turning into and is going to change a thousand lives through providing a thousand scholarships by the end of 2021. You know, but right here, right now, this team is what you have in their lives are moving on too. It's just, it's not about me, you know, and, and people don't want to make sacrifices for people or things or places unless they know that you, they that you're in it with them. And I think that is uh, something I wish where I have had in the past as leaders. And I think it's kind of like the, the secret sauce and it's, Typically, the hardest thing, and so as a result, I'm learning more from them than I ever dreamed of. Um, I'm more humble, like I'm humbled every day. Um, I'm just grateful to be in this situation, this in this seat. You know, I'm just really grateful. That's that's really what I'll leave it with. <laughs> so, and I would not have that mindset if I wouldn't if I wasn't honest with myself.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. That's, uh, that's, that's absolutely, I mean, it, and really it's coming from a very genuine place. Um, and I appreciate it and I'm certain that, uh, that the listeners will appreciate it. So before we go, uh, where can people find you? You know, they want to, to hear about all the great stuff that Justine and her team are doing. Um, so how can people connect with you if they want to know more?
1: Um, so LinkedIn is always still the best way to find me. I'm finally back to, taking pride in responding to all my messages and being active on LinkedIn. Uh, if you're a military spouse, please go to the paradigm and join the movement, which will take you to our online global community. We are actually announcing partnerships in there right now, secretly, and that will make the public eye in the next uh, few weeks. We have a lot of amazing things going on in there that I think are really beneficial to the South community. And yeah, um, my email is Justine at theParadigmSwitch.org, and I'm happy to answer any questions or concerns, or just be a ear to listen. You can also find me on betterati as well. Happy to help.
0: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. Um, a- again, I just can't help but say I appreciate you for who you are, but also for sharing your story with us.
1: Well, thank you for allowing me to share and finding courage in my story. Sometimes people believe in you more than you believe in yourself. So I appreciate that and your friendship.
0: Always something to hold on to. Thank you. <laughs> You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. The only way to overcome a problem is through it. As I mentioned on the show, she could have kept it to herself. She could have celebrated her sobriety quietly with only her family and frequent contacts familiar with it. At events, she could have walked around with soda in her hand, or if someone offered her a drink, she could have politely declined. After a while, it would have just been common. Justine doesn't drink. Instead, she reached out to her extended network. Those of us who communicate with her follow what she's been doing for years and appreciate her passion to be open, honest, and vulnerable. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown says, Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. As Justine and I talked about in the show, service members, veterans, and their families are immersed into drinking culture. If we truly want to be successful in our post-military lives, we need to address how things impact us, and that includes the drinking. If we want to make an impact in our post-military lives, like Brene Brown said, have greater clarity in our purpose or deeper meaning in our life, then we need to address the ugly truths of what's going on. Maybe you heard this episode and was inspired by Justine's courage. Maybe you realize that you hear your story in her story. If so, then reach out for help. There are tons of resources out there for you and your family. You can find one resource specifically for veterans by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash addictions, which will take you to the Department of Veterans Affairs Addictions Information website. Take the time to check it out for you, for someone you love, for your community, for your legacy. It's never too late until it is too late. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST105. Share the link to the show with someone that you think might want to hear it. We're always looking for guests, either veterans or those who support them. You can drop me a line at info at to recommend guests, or you can go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash guest to fill out a suggestion or request. Just a reminder that the guests and information in this show are for educational purposes only and are not meant to be considered professional advice. While I'm a practicing therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can see all of his work at TheRealDocTodd.com. Be on the lookout for another great episode, and until then, remember veterans, you're not alone. Ever.
2: The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul, eventually my drinking it got out of control, there in darkness I roam struggling to find home, see suddenly death didn't feel so alone.